the Pod on the Dog episode one. I am Verity Hardcastle. You can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in dogdom. So today I am joined by one sassy Scott who has a penchant for a poodle. It's Fiona Bruce. Now, not the Fiona Bruce, but the Fiona Bruce. <laughs> she has owned and show poodles for maybe eternity. And I'm so excited to chat with her today. Now, Fiona is a friend of mine. She's been so supportive to me over the years with poodles, all things showing, all things trimming. So lovely, warm welcome to you, Fiona. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Nice to to see you. (laughs) My first question, Fiona, is what is your tipple of choice this evening? This evening, I have a nice child, Southern Young Blanc. Although I have been known recently to have the tankery lime gin, but I thought I'll go for the wine tonight. Uh, is it is it a New Zealand variety? No. Well, delish all the same. I <laughs> would normally be joining you. I was thinking I might go and have a nice pale rosé because we did see a glimmer of sunshine today. I don't know about you if you did, uh, Fiona, because... I've been beautiful up here. Absolutely beautiful. Freezing cold, but beautiful. Yeah, so Fiona's in Glasgow and I'm in North Yorkshire. So funnily enough, it's actually apparently bright sunshine in Glasgow and it's absolutely pouring down with rain here in North Yorkshire. <laughs> but um, I just got a little carried away yesterday with all this um, open garden season and um, maybe just feeling a little worse for wear. So I'm actually on water. I'm such a spoil sport. I'm so sorry. <laughs> So, obviously, I've known you for many years now, Fiona, but I actually don't know about where your love of poodles came from. So, tell me a little bit about your poodle journey. Like, how did you even get into showing dogs? I always wanted a dog when I was a child. I was the child that knocked on neighbours' doors. Can I take the dog for a walk? Uh Never allowed one. Had guinea pigs, rabbits, hamsters, you name it, I had it. When I got to about 12, 13, my mum eventually gave in. My dad talked her into it because he loved dogs as well. So he talked her into it. But she's aller- my mum was allergic to dogs, but she worked in a local maternity hospital and one of the midwives showed poodles and she had a litter of poodles at the time and she'd run two on for showing and she'd run on a wee bit. No one found well she was going to be too small, but she was just adorable. Cut a long story short, when she was five, six months old, my mum mum and dad bought her for me so that was me seventh heaven that's where it started and the woman that said we got her from she showed so she kind of I think because I was younger she kind of took me under her wing and asked me did I want to learn to trim and I thought yeah I'll learn to trim why not how old were you at this point 12 13 13. so young yeah 12 13 yeah she taught me how to trim and of course when I saw hers in show trim I was like I want to do that yeah "Eh, no let's start at the beginning so I had, she taught me how my only dog in a lamb trim. I was never allowed to put a pair of scissors near her until I could bath and dry her right. Mm-hmm. Quite a few times, Beth would say, have the dog bathed and dried ready for me coming round. And she would come round to the house to give me a lesson and she would say, put the dog straight back in the bath. Oh, so that was why I have this thing about prep, preps, everything, and it's because I was well taught. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she taught me how to trim about maybe a year and a half later. Well, about a year later or so, she said, do you want to come to a dog show? Well, call it the worst thing I ever did or the best thing I ever did. Who knows? That's where it started. Um, so I started going to shows with her 
and she let me take her, her poodle she was showing into junior handling. Junior handling was nothing like it is now. You got yeah. a biscuit. A prize, you know, that was it. You get a cookie of a plate, yeah, yeah. Um, So that's what started about a year and a half later. I got probably a, actually a nephew of my original bitch, Donna, her name was, and I got her nephew, Nikki, and that was my first show dog. That unfortunately didn't end well, there was a temperament issue, and I lost him very young. But I mean, that was where it started, and it was always white miniatures I showed, so yeah. kind of started from there and just never changed. And this is obviously where your love of a white miniature comes from. You know, you're always on the lookout for that beautiful white miniature with the beautiful dark pigmentation, aren't you? Yeah, but it's got to be, I don't want any white miniature poodle. I've got to really want it. It's got to be special. It needs to be special to be in the show ring because it's been so easy with blacks. I showed whites for 25 years before I got my first black. and And I think that's one of the reasons why I can present them quite so well because if when you learn to trim in whites, you know, blacks are a doddle. Yeah, white white coats are so much more unforgiving, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, And if you can put a nice finish in a white, you're laughing. So I would say, plus the fact Beth was had task mask. I didn't like it at the time, but I have to say I've reaped the benefits of it now. And actually, ironically, she's now 72, 73. She'll love me for saying that. And I actually trim her dogs now and oh, talk about pressure. It's like, oh, my God. And even the dogs looking at me saying, you know, she's not going to like this, don't you? You know, she's going to Every time the dogs go back and I take them home, I think, I wonder what she's going to say. Yeah. Um, I think the first person who um, taught me how to handle a show dog, my Doberman, I was ever so terrified of her, just ever so slightly. <laughs> So I think that that makes you really eager to, oh, I've got to do a really good job. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> so you've even, obviously- even now, though, with Beth, when she sees pictures of my dogs, she's just recently joined Facebook, which is a riot. But even now, I think, she's going to see that. Do you know? Because I, I know she's going to say... That's, um, deep, that's deep-seeded. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So obviously you've owned poodles of all sizes. You've had men's. Yep. Um, I think you've had a standard, right? I've had three. Well, two. I've shown three standards. I've had two more, and I've shown one for Mike Gatsby. Yeah, and, and obviously you've had a toy as well before. I remember you telling me you've had a toy. Um, but obviously, without question, I would probably say that men's are definitely your favourite, your number one choice. Oh, definitely. You're known for your men's. Um, do you think there's a difference in personality? Is there a like breed traits between the three? Like, how would you categorise them? I would say miniatures are definitely more needy. They're more want to be with you. And some folk don't like them for that reason. Um, standards are a big dog with a big dog attitude. Depends what you like. I'm not over keen on mixing the, the two sizes. I had a couple of issues mixing the two sizes. So I decided that wasn't for me, um, the standards, as much as I love them. And I, just, I would love a white, another white standard. It's three white standards I've shown and that absolutely you can't beat a beautiful white standard. But no, I, I just like the miniatures. And to be honest, from a total lazy point of view, why spend three hours drying a standard oh, for the? I, w- I was literally going to come back to that point. I just, yeah, I but why, you know, why spend three hours when I can win as much with the miniatures for an hour's drying? You know, it's yeah. that's the laziness of my old age keeping in. No, but also I think for versatility, you know, with a you know with your life you know you go to the beach a lot you can just fling them all in the back of your car and yeah. you know you wouldn't be able to do that if you own four standard poodles would you 
And the thought of coming back from the beach, obviously the show courts have to get back and come back for the beach. That's non-negotiable. And okay, I can do a maintenance bath, dry band and a miniature poodle in less than an hour. And for a maintenance bath, a standard, there's no way, absolutely no way. You just... The only thing is, I suppose the standards wouldn't maybe get quite so mucky with them being taller, you know, um, but still, it's... No, I, miniatures are much by far the best to me. But if you're going to bath them, you may as well bath them, right? Yeah. Yeah, I used to, when I came back from shows, put them in a black bin bag and cut a hole and put the head through it to yeah. wash the neck here and the head here. You know, classy. But eventually, the, the, start, the water would run down the front. And to be honest, by the time you tried to avoid getting them wet, you would as well just bath them and drying them. Yeah, and I always put quite a lot of spray in the um, hawk area as well um, uh, on the dogs. So I need to wash that bit out as well as, you know, maybe the head area as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're small (laughs) enough, aren't they? You know, funnily enough, I'm even thinking smaller. Hmm, toy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, definitely. Toys are the way to go. 20 minutes bath and dry, definitely. (laughs) Now, obviously, you've shown for so many years, you've done so much winning, but not just in showing, but in dog ownership as a whole, what would be your proudest moment? What are your standout moments for you? There's a few that I'm really, really proud of. Most of them are showing because that's what I'm interested in. Okay, I've only done a few grooming competitions and I was really proud of what I managed to achieve doing them. Mm -hmm. But the shows, I mean, given the fact that I've... When you think about it, I must, I only keep, I've got five miniature poodles just now and I bring these mountain dogs. I don't keep a lot of dogs. I only breed once every four or five years. Well, you know, you waited long enough. I don't breed very often. I only breed when I want something for the ring. Mm-hmm. So in this, the fact that I don't breed often, I don't have litter after litter. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so proud of the fact that I've got three generations of male champions sitting in my house just now. Yeah. Plus, a, plus a champion bitch that's off one of my champion males and a young bitch that's well, obviously she's stopped showing at 18 months but she's got a ticket and three or four reserves I can't remember exactly what she's got and then amongst that lot I've also had like Forrest he was top winning miniature male in 2011 I think it was in the whole of the UK that to me I was I couldn't believe he'd won that I just he was just the dream dog Jessica's won a utility championship show utility group one Malcolm won Miniature Poodle of the Year in 2014 or 2015, I think it was. That was hysterical. I ended up my friend, Sue, that owns them in partnership. I had the two of them qualified and I was showing them, swapping them over, swapping them over. And it came to the semi-finals and they were up against each other, my dog and my bitch. Uh-huh. So Sue, Sue Baker, who part owns Malcolm, she took him in and I took Jessica in. And she won with Malcolm and she went, he actually went better for her. He was a bit of a prat. And he went better for her. So I said, just you take him in the final. It's like honestly, dropping your kids off at school, isn't it? They're always better for somebody else. Yeah. Well, honest to God, she took him in the ring. And when she won it, she was stood in the ring like a total novice. I mean, she's countless champions. She was stood in the ring like, who me? I'm screaming like a loon from the ringside. <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. And actually, I think I enjoyed it more because Sue had him. But what yeah. I this, this is going to sound really, really nah. Yeah, I've done quite a bit of winning, but I would say my proudest moment in dogs was when Jack won his first CC and best of breed with Bernie's Mountain Dog. Yeah. I get much more nervous watching somebody else, but I, I don't get nervous in the ring. Do you not? That's, well, that's a good thing because, you know, you don't want that transferring down to the dog. So 
Well, my friend that's a nurse, she said it's because I'm on beta blockers. I don't get nervous. Close your heart rate down, you're fine. Um, but no, actually watching somebody else or watching somebody that's, say, use one of my stud dogs and has got a puppy by them. I'd yeah. like to be you in the ring with all of I get much more nervous watching somebody else than what I do when I'm in yeah, the you're, you're invested in these dogs and, you know, yeah. that's all credit to you. But I have to say, watching Jack, because that was the first ticket. He'd won reserve ticket. That was the first ticket Jack had ever won. And obviously it was Declan's first, first ticket. So then to get that and get best of breed, again, I don't think the Bernese folk knew about hit them. I'm screaming like a loon at the side of the ring, but hey ho. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> Who's the crazy Scott? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's that daft bent again. Yeah. No, I have to say, it's, I get more excited for other people than I do for myself. Oh, that's lovely, Fiona. I would say, obviously, going to drill down a little bit into you. When you're not grooming, when you're not showing, obviously, I know you really like walking your dogs, being out and about, but also what makes your heart sing? Like, what are the other layers to Fiona that I don't know about? I don't know. To be honest, because we have so many dogs, we ended up buying a caravan because I won't put my dogs in kennels. And I just thought, so how are we going to get on holidays? So we got bought a caravan and we go around the dog shows and we go down to our friend Susan Salisbury. I actually love, I really am getting old, I love the caravan. I get dead excited about it in a way in the house on wheels, as I call it. I just love it. Um, but you never find me without a book. Or, um, you know, I, to be honest, the simple things in life, but what I do like is rooting about TK Maxx. And oh I'll my gosh, me. <laughs> Yeah, I just can't wait till... I don't care about the other shops, but the first shop I'll be at is TK Maxx. That's where I'll be rooting about in there. You were uh, Harley Carr Gardens, which is RHS in Harrogate here, with uh, one of my really good girlfriends today. She just came with me with the kiddies. And we were walking around and she said to me the same thing. She was like, do you know what I'm really looking forward to? Is TK Maxx and HomeSense open? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, and we've made a date that when it opens, I'm going to give Andrew the kids... And we're going to get ourselves like a takeaway coffee or a takeaway cup of tea. And we're just going to spend an hour just slowly meandering around home sense. Well, that'll be me. Jack hates it. He's like, I'll say to him if we're somewhere different, there's a TK Maxx. He's like, keep driving. I want to have a look. Please stop. Um, yeah. Do you know what? The funny thing is, I really am turning into a real old person. Since lame lockdown, I do jigsaws and I sit with a gin and a gin and smooth radio and a jigsaw. I'm a ninety, you know. I sit there and I just love that. I'm not a great. I love socialising with a small group of friends, and I like I love things like that. But I don't know. I'm, I'm quite like my own company. I'm quite happy, you know. I don't. I'm not yeah. one for going out to pubs or anything like that, but what I am looking forward to is going out, just going out for a meal and not actually having to cook something. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. Like, I would just be happy to even sit in Nando's right now. Like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even asking for the Ivy. I just would be happy to served anywhere because making three meals a day all the time. And also I get, mummy, I'm hungry. Mummy, I'm, oh, ah, you know. And then the dogs, they're all looking, is it dinner time? Yeah, I'm like, I just, yeah, totally get that. But yeah. going back to the jigsaw thing, like my mum and me are exactly the same. And when I go on holiday, so if I go to the south of France, in the barn there, there's a jigsaw table that's perfect for like a two and a half thousand piece jigsaw. And there's nothing better. Five o'clock, sitting with the <laughs> on holiday with a good big saw. I don't feel so bad now actually because I thought 
all my friends have been on and my daughter, she thinks it's hilarious. No um, way. Everybody's jigsawing. It's like the yeah. new thing. It's like, do you know when a while ago everyone was getting into like colouring? People started... People were colouring pictures, weren't they? Like, I feel like the jigsaw jigsaws are the new colouring pictures thing. Louise Cunningham sent me a, a very kind of this one, a, a picture of all my poodles that's sitting on a bench. And mm. the one on it. She sent me that picture up as a jigsaw. Honest to God, it is doing my head in. Oh, that sounds hard, though. It's all black and on a bench. All four, six black poodles on a bench. And actually, I've put it on two pieces of plywood and it's currently under my couch. I will go back to it and I will seal it and frame it when it's done, but I might be 70-odd before it's done. Do you know what? We actually got to the stage I wanted to set my house on fire rather than <laughs> try and finish it. So I was like, no, that's going, that's out. So it's under the couch just now, but it will come back out when I've, just maybe the next lockdown. Um, also, you were really on trend with the caravan because apparently caravans are like going for crazy money at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Obviously, everybody, nobody can holiday, so everybody wants a caravan. The only good thing is ours are starting to fall to bits. So by the time lockdown eases and there's a new a newer one, all these folk that bought them to go back abroad again, they'll be selling some, get it cheaper. You're gonna grab yourself a bag. Yeah, Scottish. Always like a bargain. Yeah. I'm, I'm Yorkshire, babe. I understand. <laughs> Do you know I'm actually the same when you were saying to me about what's one of your proudest things? To be honest, my daughter's just started university and she's oh, doing yeah. a new She's had 300% marks on exams and things like that. Oh, she, yeah. She phones me and she's at chuffed with herself and she's working really hard. So yeah. she might not be into the dogs, but the work ethics here. Yeah, she's like, she's intelligent and beautiful. So, And if you want something, she knows you have to make an effort and do it. Um, yeah. Nothing comes easy in life. That's so nice. Yeah, absolutely. You know, proud of your children. And yeah. uni, so that's amazing. I get asked this a lot. You might get asked this quite a lot. Obviously, there's been a huge rise in crossbreeds, specifically mm. poodle crosses, as as we know, at the moment. And obviously, I get a lot of people advising me, like, oh, you know, where can I get a puppy from? And I've got, I've got nothing to be able to offer them. I only really know purebred people, purebred poodle folk, you know, who breed quality dogs for you know, for themselves, and then they might have a spare, for instance. For you, if anybody was going to ask you, they're trying to buy a crossbreed poodle or a puppy at the moment, what advice would you give them? It is really hard. I am absolutely inundated with requests for puppies and I've nowhere to send them. Because for Toxic, I was thinking about meeting Shirley there in March just because of lockdown. But I couldn't travel the dog. I'm going to use this in Salisbury. I can't. I couldn't travel to Salisbury to meet her, which is half the issue. A lot of folk can't meet their dogs for that very reason. But then you find the ones that are meeting their dogs, they're lucky if they've got somebody with a good dog in, the, in their surrounding area. But unfortunately, I, the dogs I would want to use are as far down south as you can possibly get. So Yeah, and you can't travel. Yeah, and it's hard because hard trying to find it and also not being at the shows, you don't hear who's having litters. You don't have the general conversation oh, such and such is meeting a bitch, or, oh, I'm going to meet my bitch when she's into season. You don't have these overheard or conversations or whatever. So you don't actually know who's got pups, which is hard. My advice to vote, I know everybody says go to the Kennel Club, but I've looked in the Kennel Club website before they knackered up the, the actual website, but a couple of times I had a look to see, and the breeders that were on there, I had no idea who they were. I had no clue. Yeah. You know, they were, and yet folk think because they're on the Kennel Club website, Oh, they must be yeah, great. Or, they've, or, or because they've got papers. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think there was one person out of all the letters that were registered on there that I actually knew who it was. Um, I am struggling big time. I don't know. And to the point I tend to do is I, I just stick on Facebook. Um, do you got any pops? Um, do you get any um, do whatever. What I would say to folk is contact the beef club rather than the kennel club. Mm. Um, there's a few beef clubs around and different things depending on what size you want. Um, contacting a beef club, you're more likely to get somebody that knows what they're doing than just yeah. somebody that's registered with the kennel club. You know, yeah, definitely. And okay. and also you can you can go down a bit of a wormhole, can't you? So you can maybe get in touch with somebody and they'll tell you to ring somebody else and then it kind of spirals from there. Yeah. And I'll say phone this person, they've got a stud dog, they'll maybe know if he's you know, well they will obviously will know if he's being used or if he's planning to be used or yeah. you know, it's one of these kind of things. But as for when they ask for crossbreeds, I have no idea what to tell them. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I just think that people just need to have their wits about them because there's a lot of forgery when it comes to paperwork. Yeah. And sometimes with these crossbreeds, not all is what can be seen no. a lot are bred in puppy farms and brought into domestic houses. Yeah. They've been reared in, you know, just as the point of sale and things like that. So I just think people just need to be patient and, and wait for the right dog and I think you also need to be prepared to walk away which is very very hard for folk to do especially if they're just it's hard enough if you're looking for a show dog and you go and see a litter it's very hard to see actually know they're lovely but it's not that's not what I want but to actually for folk that are just just looking for a pet I don't mean that in a derogatory way but yeah. folk that are looking for a pet for them to actually walk away from a litter of pups because they think something's not quite right 99.9% of the time it's not going to happen because if they think they've maybe got children in tow and you know expectations yeah. from people yeah. yeah and even then it's one of these a lot of think a lot of folk think oh the circumstances it was in wasn't very nice we, we took it away to get it away from there and I totally get that and I think it'd be very hard to walk away but, but actually the reality, all they're doing is yeah giving the folk the money to do it again and do it again it's a hard one supply and demand isn't it and they don't seem to understand, because I'm on a couple of these cockapoo pages just because I'm a groomer, and I dare say you maybe are as well. And they don't get that their dogs are bred from possibly the worst miniature poodles and the worst cocker spaniels, because folk like us with decent ones wouldn't let them be used for that. So they, they don't quite get that the dogs they're buying are not from good specimens. You know, they're probably from the kind of worst specimens you can get. And yeah. That's a hard one. I just try to steer them away. Having said that, I do trim a few, and there's, a, there's three of them I really, really like. They're really nice dogs, and I get the appeal, but yeah. I, I do try to steer folk away from it. Going back to what we were talking about, miniatures being like really clingy. This yeah. is probably maybe why they call cockapoos the Velcro dog because normally they're yeah. half half mins, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, and to be honest, I'm not sure what cocker spaniels are like. It's not a breed I know huge amount, so I've not lived with one. None of my friends have got one, so I don't know what they're like to live with. And if they're yeah. the same as miniature poodles, well, then yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, obviously we know what they're like to trim, but I don't. I've never owned one, so I don't know what yeah. they're like generally. Yeah. And having one, I mean, you know, each of your dogs has got a different personality, right? My dogs yeah. are so different. They, they do have like a breed trait, yeah. but within that, they're so different. So. Yeah. Every, every one of them is as individual as us. <laughs> well, you look at me, I laugh and folk will say to me, like folk in your work, and they say, how do you tell them apart? And I'm like... How can you, how can you not? <laughs> no, I'm like saying, oh, your children look the same. Yeah. I say, I'm not 
people get totally different faces, they're different sizes, they're different coats, and their personalities, like you say, are so different. Now, how do you feel about being a agony aunt with me? So I'm sure that you get people slipping into your DMs, Fiona. Um, I'm pleased to report that mine are nearly always dog related <laughs> in all senses of the word. <laughs> uh, so it would be a really nice opportunity, I thought, to try and hash these out one pet professional to another. Yeah. I've been sent a few, so I'll read them out and I've not pre-read these. You don't obviously know what I'm going to ask you. So let's just, let's just mull it over. This first one here is from Jenny O'Sullivan and she says, her opening is, hey, sorry for sliding into your DMs. <laughs> um, what shampoo would you recommend for a cockapoo? I'm finding it really hard to wash the shampoo out properly at home when we've had a really muddy walk. We only wash him once a week and only if he's really muddy, but I find it so stressful getting the shampoo off him. His fur just soaks up all the water and I can't rinse him off. Also, what what do you recommend for a detangling spray? Should I do this when I brush him? We do not brush him daily, but we brush him every other day. Thanks in advance. So, shampoo recommendations, cockapoo? I tend to use, I use varying different ones. I don't, I stick to the same ones for my show dogs normally, and I try to kind of try different things out. I do like the val the val is it the oatmeal one it mm. smells what it smells like suntan oil and it's you know it's, i love it at least i love the smell on them and i've never had any problems washing them out and it does soften the coat so if it's tangled then yeah you know, it does help um, especially for these thick combination coats like yeah. that you do need some moisture in them don't you yeah because i tend to if i think they're tangled but then it's your bath and it twice as well because i always bath them twice i know a lot of folk don't but I shampoo them twice. I always think once gets the dirt out and the second time gets them really sparkly clean. And then yeah. I'll put conditioner on the longer bits, like their legs and things like that. They keep longer and that helps get any tangles out. I don't, I don't understand why she's get bothered getting the shampoo out. Maybe yeah, that, was like, else. that was my thing. I would say for um, washing it, I would just use like a general oh, everyday like shampoo yeah. and then I would add some yeah. conditioner afterwards. Yeah. Um, not being able to wash it out, I just... Maybe I think the best thing that what folk do at home is they use the shampoo neat and it's almost like sticks onto the dry hair, doesn't it? Yeah. And then it and then that can be harder to get out. So I would always recommend that they dilute the product in like yeah. a plastic measuring jug and yeah. then apply that onto like I even get like one of those plastic jugs from supermarket. They're like a couple of pounds. And I sometimes if they've got muddy legs, I'll just stick the legs in and just give it a swoosh around. <laughs> yeah. Like just to kind of break it up. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And again, I think sometimes if folk were straight home, say they'd been to a muddy park, this is why I go to the beach. I don't go to the park because I can't mm-hmm. be bothered with mud. But I think if folk try to work with the coat wet with mud, sometimes that's worse. Let it dry and then either brush some of it off or just put them in the bath after that. But I, I, I used to find yeah. really good. And if you try and get the mud off and it's wet, it's, you know, it can be a nightmare about letting it dry. But I would wonder about water pressure, to be honest, because it should... So yeah, it should, it should rinse out. A couple of folk I've taught, though I have to say, maybe the methods part of it, a couple of folk I've had for lessons for bathing and drying and prep work. It's really weird, I don't know about you, but I start at the head and work my way down. And then when you're rinsing it, you're rinsing it from the head down. Now there was folk who shampooed it all and then they started rinsing from like the shoulders down the back and I'm thinking, why are you doing that? Because you're only going to clear all that and then you're going to rinse the head. Shampoo, back yeah. 
So whether she's maybe not been methodical enough yeah. at the top and just work your way down the bottom, do you know? I do yeah. the head, down the shoulders, down the back, front legs, back legs, tail, tail back legs. Maybe it's just the method and the actual... Yeah, that's, that's how I work. So when I'm shampooing, I would shampoo all the body, do everything else, and then shampoo the head last. Mm-hmm. And then I rinse the head first. Yeah. And then rinse all, you know, the body. But I would obviously do it from the, the neck, down the, the withers, down the back of the dog, and then yeah. moving down the legs as I go. Yeah, maybe you need to think about that. Maybe more than anything else. Yeah. And that there are tools that can help you if you're doing it in your bath and the dog's jumping around and you're saying it's stressful. You can get those, like, industrial, like, suckers. They're like a plunger. I thought, and yeah, just, yeah. yeah, just stick one of those to the bottom of your bath and put the dog's lead on it. And then you've got your hands free. So then you can calm the dog down and you're not trying to hold on to a lead or and then yeah. trying to wash it with another hand. And then which hand are you going to use to rinse the dog with? And, you know, you're not trying to be some crazy octopus dog mum yeah. trying to you know especially the puppy when it's trying to scramble out the bath you know yeah. that's what I just one of these sucker things that sticks to the side perfect um so our next one this has come in she says hello i've got a few grooming related questions and also some behavior related ones so it might be quite good to do a behavior related question um we would like to wean kevin our cavalier out of his crate so that it doesn't take so much space up in our house I think she says she's, he's 30 months old, but also so that if we go away, we don't also have to bring the crate with us. It's just, you know, the dog is bad. Totally get that. Any tips for doing this? You crate, do you crate train your puppies? My puppies are always crate trained and that's how I help to train them at night, like to be dry overnight because a lot of time, I know some dogs will, but the majority won't wet their bed or duck to their bed. And that's how I get mine through the night. I don't actually have an issue. I just... Mine go from being in a cage and once they're totally house trained, my poodles sleep in the kitchen and we've got like a couch in the kitchen. There are, there are two cages in our kitchen, but the doors are always open. Yeah. And the dogs quite often choose that because they like that as a bed. You can guarantee the cages in our kitchen have usually got somebody in them. But we have like a two-seater couch and we have two other dog beds lying about. Yeah. But to be honest, truth is I go from one to the other just one night they're in the, they've been in the cage and then the next night I just think leave the door open and they're just with the rest yeah, of the dog I tend to do I just try to I, I leave the door open for a period and then um, and then they'll they tend to choose to sleep in there regardless like in my utility I have you know those under counter spaces that are specifically built for like a dog sleeping yeah. so I always would have two crates under there but always with the doors open yeah I think I just transition from having the door closed, like you say, and then I'll be like, well, let's give it a go, (laughs) you know, one night. Let's see if you can do it and just leave the door open. That's all. And then slowly transition, like maybe I would leave it a couple of weeks before I'd actually move the crate away, you know, rather than removing it completely. But a lot of dogs really like that safe space. Yeah, mine do. And you can always guarantee the cages in my kitchen, I've got somebody in them. What she could do, she's worried about the dog being destructive as people who have some of mine know they are. Um, <laughs> I take no responsibility. It's like, it's like living with a moth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Kind of what, what she could do is get a puppy pen and push it round just to give the dog more space, to get it used to it, it can come and go from its cage, and then she can see how it is, and then eventually, you know, once it's got used to it, oh, I can actually come out during the night, but I'm still in this enclosed space, you know, and then move it into the room. Yeah. I think it might be easier for you and I because we have more than one dog. Yeah, they so definitely, it's dog. definitely easier, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, 
But I, I would normally, I'd go, I don't remember ever have, even really thinking about it. It was just as soon as they were cleaned through the night, the cage was left open. Yeah, and, and I remember having a few failed attempts at, yeah, you know, leaving it open and like, oh dear, puddle, you know, yeah. right, well, you know, let's just try it again. I, I just think it's trial and error, isn't it? Trial and error, yeah. Yeah, and at a year old, the dog should be totally house trained, so really they shouldn't have an issue with piddling or anything over the night. If it's more destructive, then I would put a puppy pen around it and see how it goes. Or I know folk that their dogs sleep in a cage at night anyway. That's just what they do, and that's fine. You know, it's not a big deal if it's so fast that they're used to it at night. Yeah. You know, it's. I think as well, though, for dogs, especially if you've got a crate cover or, you know, really good thing to do is just go to somewhere like Primark and get some of the cheap blankets and just put them over the crate. They end up, I think that people think, oh, it's a cage, but actually dogs see it as a really safe den, like it's their safe space where they can go and get away if they just want some quiet time. You know, my dogs will take themselves off to the utility. You know, they're free to come and go, but, you know, sometimes they might want to get away from, you know, me. I was going to say my children, but maybe it's me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's that, that's their sanctuary. And they, you know, like you say, I'll always find a dog in a crate just chilling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's just really era, though. So now we're going to move on to the next section, which is my breed focus. Now, I'm obviously going to do a breed that you know a lot about, but isn't necessarily a breed that you would choose to own yourself. So I thought actually you'd be the perfect person to do this because <laughs> you'd be super honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to look at the Bernese Mountain Dog. Now they're a really hardworking, versatile working dog. They're from the farmlands of Switzerland, actually from Bern Canton, which is in central Switzerland. They were developed as a herding cattle dog, they pull carts, they're used as watchdogs, and they're obviously really good, loyal family dogs as well. So as I say, obviously, Fiona's partner has Bernese Mountain Dogs. He's had many Bernese Mountain Dogs. I think he came with the Bernese Mountain Dogs. It was, you know, him <laughs> and the dogs was the yeah. deal. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. Um, so you know what they're like to live with, and, and I thought you'd be maybe the perfect person to give us an honest account. So tell me, what are they like as a breed to live with? You know, the best points, temperament, things like that. They're actually a lovely breed. I think because I was always brought up with poodles, I wasn't used to dog hair in the house. And mm. that's the one thing that infuriates me is the dog hair. The yeah. hair doesn't stick into your furniture like a Labrador or a Whippet, but it's like tumbleweed. You move your couch and you've got a litter of Bernies under it. You know, it's just, it's this tumbleweed. It's, it's, it's wafting around your house. Yeah. And we've got, <laughs> like, we've got wooden floors, so it just wafts. You know, it is. that's the infuriating thing. The other thing you really, the, the, the biggest consideration you have to have if you want to burn these or not is how important is a coffee table to you in your living room? Because you can't, you can't have one. That is, you, the dog becomes your coffee table. Well, you just can't have, no, you just cannot have a coffee table with a nice vase on it or yeah, because of that, that tail. Because as soon as that tail goes, boom, it's clear. Yeah. So if you want a coffee table, don't have burn these mountain dog. Um, to be honest, they're actually lovely dogs to live with. It chokes me to see it, and I hope Jack doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm going to send him a soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> they actually are lovely. They got on well with the poodles. Um, temperaments are on the whole are great. We only had one quite sharp one who, for some reason, hated standard poodles, which was never good after I met Jack. On the whole, their temperaments are fabulous. 
what Jack's there in these put up with my poodle puppies is unreal. They pull the tears, they jump all over them. I've got pictures of Malcolm actually using old Giovanni as a couch. He just used to climb on his back and just lie on top of him. And he used to use them as a springboard to go on the couch when he was too small to jump on the couch. He would jump on Giovanni and then jump on the couch off him. So, I mean, so, they, they are they are a good, they are a, great with kids, super family pet, but you do need to have space. They, they're big yeah. dogs. It's a bit like standard poodles. When you see them outside, you think, yeah, they're big dogs. And you know that, and you you know, but it's not until you actually see them in the house. You yeah. Say, Shit, these are big. At one point, we had three, two oh. of Jack. Well, only because two of Jacks that he came with, and my friend that um, showed Bernie's unfortunately died, and I inherited her Bernie's, and there's no way I was rehoming her. She was staying, so we had three for a couple of years, never again. I mean, we don't have a tiny house. Okay, we've not got a huge house, but we don't have a tiny house. But even then, I was like, no, this is not happening. This is, you know. One Bernie's in a house is enough. I no doubt will have to walk with two because Jack is looking for a, a new puppy. But um, no, that family dogs, brilliant family dogs, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I always think with big dogs like that, that I know when I live with my Dobies, um, yeah. I always thought you might as well just accept that you're living with an extra body, like an extra person. Well, been... put it this way, your, your Bernie's mountain dogs, eight, nine stone. You know, you're talking, you know, a small adult, is it? Yeah. Now, the other considerations you have, the downside to them is um, the average age, kind of age span of them is eight. Mm-hmm. A lot of them die of cancer. We've been lucky. Ours have lived, well, depending on whether you ask me or Jack, we've been lucky. Some of ours have lived till 12. The health issues with them are they do, a lot of them do die of cancer. Mm-hmm. And it, like I say, the average age of them is eight. And they what do, about the heart? Are they... The hearts aren't too bad. No, it's hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia, and DM, that degenerative my, my yeah, yeah, that these are these are things you would test for in them and you'd expect to be tested for in them. Obviously you can't test for cancer, that's just you know, yeah. What it is. But the these other things. Also, your insurance for a Bernie's mountain dog is extortionate. I can imagine. Well, when we, our, the only one we have just now, he's just turned seven. So seven years ago, when Jack was looking for insurance for him, we were quoted, was it £80 a month? Wow. And that was for an eight-week-old puppy. That's like double car insurance. Yeah. I mean, you think you get a miniature poodle for £10, £15, you know, at that age. Yeah, and everything you pay, all your vet's fees are absolutely extortionate. It's yeah. like you it's the, bigger, it's the bigger the dog, the bigger the fees, isn't it? And I think it's the weight of them as well. So for anything like anaesthetics mm. or antibiotics, like you go to the vet and you'll get antibiotics for your poodle and it maybe cost you there to And feed as well. Well, that's not too bad, actually. But when you go when you go for a Bernese, suddenly what costs you £30-£40 for a poodle is £90. You know, so yeah, you do have the cost of the insurance is scandalous. I mean, if that's £80 for a a eight-week-old puppy seven years ago, and you know how quick your insurance goes up. And the minute well, I, I almost think it would be better to put that into a savings account every single month. Well, that's what Jack does. He and does then, that the account, and then use that as the dog's the the dog's fund pot. Yeah, it's okay, and that does work, and it's worked for us, Touchwood, so far. But if it something happens early on, like say that my Walter broke his leg, if that um, happens, yeah. you have the money in the bank, you're guffed. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but we've been lucky, Touchwood, so far, and that, that's worked for Jack so far. Because our Bernie's actually have been pretty healthy. We have been very lucky with ours, I have to say. 
Um, but yes, he's a family dog. I think they're brilliant. I have to say they are. They're great with kids. I mean, mm-hmm. we go out a walk when folk want to talk to the dogs. The poodles are, some of them will speak and some of them are like, go away. Whereas Declan's always standing there wagging his tail. Yeah, that's fine. And you also, know? they must give the biggest cuddles. <laughs> dribbly, by the way, because everyone I've groomed has always been quite drooly, dribbly. Ours, none of ours have been drooly at all. And that was why I could live with it, because when you see these um, like Great Danes or new faces, oh, yeah. the oh, ones that wear the bibs, uh, the shoelace, it gives me the heave. <laughs> and ours have always been fine until this one, until Declan. And Declan can be quite drooly. Not if you've got food, he's got shoelaces hanging, you know. Um, he's not bad as drooly breeds go, but we've just never had one that's been like that before, you know, and it is. Yeah, that's another is another consideration, and it's like super glue if you get it on your wall. I was, just, I, I remember when Andrew and I we had a cottage, and I remember we were laid in bed uh, in the morning, and Angel, my big Dobie, used to come up to our room, say good morning, and everything. And I was just laid there looking at the wall, and I was thinking, what is that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was like it was kind of like a little bit of a tinge of brown to it, and I was I like went over, and it was like. Oh my god, that is like her eye booger that she's <laughs> not where she just shook and it's just gone splat on the wall in my lovely white room. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so I now paint the walls with white wipeable mm-hmm. paint, you know, that you can put a damp cloth over it and it's still yeah. all right. There are downsides, but no, if it's for a family and you've got the space, and also what you have to consider is your car as well, because Jack was fun enough, Jack was looking at new cars the other year there. And he was looking at one of the kind of the bigger Volvos, the kind of higher up ones. Yeah. And I was like, that's no use for Declan. For jumping. And yet again, but it's not a lot of dogs will actually do these things. And that's just something else you have to carry in your car along with everything else. So unless yeah. you to lift a nine stone dog in and out of the car, because you can do so much damage by letting it jump in and out. Yeah. So he ended up buying the lower down Volvo V70 so that it was a acceptable height for him to jump in and out of first met Jack and he moved up here and my main when we were looking for a house together one of my main considerations was we have to have a room we can turn into a dog room a for grooming and b for Declan because my daughter was about 12 at the time I think yeah so and I thought you know that age where the friends are coming around the house all the time and everything and the poodles were okay because most folk don't mind a wee dog but I thought not every kiddie likes a dog, and he too. Yeah, getting, uh, getting mugged by three Bernies yeah. when you go around to your friend's house. Have, we had to have somewhere that the dogs could be put if there was folk in the house that didn't like them. Simple as that, and that was why we ended up, you know, the dog room. Um, but yeah, there, there are, I would say with a big dog, there's a lot more considerations than a wee dog. Also, the grooming of them is quite well. You'll know as well. It's actually quite a lot of grooming to them. So labour intensive. Like you know, that coat takes ages to dry because it's so thick. Yeah. So and you need to get it completely dry all the way down to the skin. Yeah. And that takes time. Do you know it's funny, even though we've got the poodles on show trim and we're out a walk, everybody stops and talks to the BMEs. The poodles, you you know yourself, walking a poodle and show trim, you usually get all the daft comments and all the kind of whatever. It's like folk don't even notice the poodles when you're out with the BMEs. It's like, oh my god, look at that. Oh my god, look at that. You yeah. know. Yeah, uh, they, they do attract a lot of attention. On the whole, I would say, yeah, and they're a super family dog. I really, living with them, it's just the hair. And if you get a slobbery one, the slobber. But, you know, you know, the temperaments on the whole. You do get the odd sharp ones. I heard some of the foreign ones are a bit sharper, you know, depending on the breeding lines. But we've been really lucky with ours. 
Yeah. Yeah. So just a little um, Bernie's fact to finish this little segment off with. Bernie's Mountain Dogs became delivery dogs. So in 1850, cheese plants became mainstay in Switzerland and they needed strong dogs to pull around their dairy products from A to B, so from farm to farm. And sometimes the children would sit in the carts that the Bernie's would pull around and, and they, they were really the start of the influx of draft dogs that we used to see all over Europe. So, yeah, often you would see at shows and things like county shows. There might be a Bernie's with a cart still attached, you know, going harking back to days of yore, right? Yeah, they do. The Bernese Club shows, you'll find most of the Bernese Championship shows will have a carting display. And oh, they'll really? Have- still? Yeah, they all... I don't quite get the dressing up bit, but that's just me. But they, they do come and the, the carts are beautiful. They're all decorated and oh, wow. with all the flags and everything. And actually they have carting competitions, you know, a bit like agility, but it's like carting. Like a race. <laughs> and I always remember the first time I ever went, we watched Jack doing it because he used, doesn't do it now with him, but he used to. And mm-hmm. Maisie Poodle, she was smart as anything. She was a, she was a Bajan strain. And she saw Hamish, it was, at the time, going round the carting trail. And it was like surrounded by like sheet pen and, you know, to make the ring. And she yeah. stuck right through and she followed him all the way around, literally with her jaw hanging open as if, what actually is he doing? She was bobsmacked <laughs> by it. And yeah. I said, you can put all the poodles in the back of the cat. I said, they could have hauled them all around. But the poodles were amazed. They just, put well, Maisie was absolutely gobsmacked by it. But yeah, even if you, if you go to a Bernese Mountain Dog Champ show, there'll always be somebody there with a cat when it all decorated and everything. So we're going to round things off with a really quick fire question round. So (laughs) I I just want really honest answers. Don't overthink it. Just really fast. No bull. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with what's your dog food of choice? And your fave place to walk? The beach, obviously. Nothing's If you look at Fiona's uh, Facebook or Instagram, she's always on the beach. <laughs> uh, number of dogs under your roof right now? Six. If you were a dog, what breed would you be? Pass. <laughs> I wanted to, want to say poodle, but I don't know if I'd want to spend the amount of time in the table. <laughs> uh, your favourite holiday destination? Oh, oh my friends. Well, I've got to say my friends' place in South of Spain. Oh, delish. And last one, what is your worst nightmare dog breed to own? What would be your worst nightmare? This is where I should say Bernie's Mountain Dog, isn't it? Just to keep up with the that I usually yeah, yeah. have. A, a toy breed. I can't stand, I know my poodle's back, but I can't stand wee yappy yappy toy breeds. It's just not me. Yeah, like a like a Maltese chihuahua sort of. Yeah, Paul Marino, that kind of thing. It's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> So that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining me, Fiona. And thank you to everybody for listening. Please don't forget to rate five stars only and subscribe to this podcast. (laughs) Nothing else. And much love.